Hey, hey, we want to thank Bill.com for being a sponsor of the Thrivecast. Our firm, Blummer CPAs, has used Bill.com as a foundational part of our tech stack for many, many years. We're a virtual firm, and we work with clients virtually all over the U.S., and so we have to have a virtual platform like Bill.com. So thank you, Bill.com, for sponsoring the Thrivecast. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thrivecast. We have been doing this show for so long. Thankful for sponsors like Bill.com and Belay coming alongside us to produce this great content. One thing we're going to do in November and December, which is what we did early in the year, is we're going to round out this year with some education on the podcast. So you get just me. (laughs) Lucky you. Uh, I love having guests. I learned so much uh, from guests. So what we're going to do is work through an outline in a minute. We're going to pull up an outline. And I just want to talk through some things to help you understand how to grow a firm well uh, and teach you some things that we learn and see in the marketplace from other firms as we coach and consult with firms. And as we do things like our Deeper Weekend Conference and our programs, we are with a lot of firm entrepreneurs every day, every week. So we're going to dive in and just do some teaching. No guests this time, and I can't wait uh, to see what we come up with. So we'll be right back, and we're going to kick it off with an outline. Thanks so much. Okay, listener, here we are back. I wanted to pull up an outline as I teach in November and December. I want you to be able to follow along with me on an outline. Uh, You can see what we're going to be talking about today is teaching on leading team. Leading team is a huge deal right now with the things we're going through in the world. I'll talk about uh, why. Also, an outline will keep me on task, right? (laughs) Because I could just talk and talk and talk, but I'm not going to do that uh, to bore you. But I might have to talk fast to get a lot of good content uh, into uh, this show. So thanks so much with uh, letting us tweak the show a little bit. This is going to be a a lot of fun, a lot of fun for me uh, because uh, the guests always teach me something, as I mentioned, but we, we love to teach also. So thank you for hanging out with us on the Thrivecast and let me do a little teaching. So, uh, so in this November show, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again in December. We'll have another topic, <clears throat> but in this November show, we're going to talk about teaching on leading team. And why is that? Well, as we're coming, I don't know, we're on the backside of the pandemic. Nobody knows, but as we're on the backside of the pandemic, we hope um, we're, we're finding firm owners and their team are struggling Um, Firm owners are struggling, not knowing what to do. Some are trying to get out of their firm, selling their firm. Uh, Maybe it's the right time. Some are maybe selling uh, because they just want to get out from under the difficulty of leading a services-based organization, which is it's not an easy organization to lead. So we understand that. But we want to talk about how to care for our team. Our team are also struggling. And we understand that. And our team are humans, right? We teach a lot of times when you hire a team, you want them, you want them to bring them whole, their whole selves to work. Um, you want all of them, right? You're not looking for just their professional side. You want all of them. You want the whole value of what that human brings to your firm. It's their personality. It's their strengths, their emotions. These are the things that make them can make them a great part of a culture uh, and part of uh, service to clients and things like that. So you want all of them. But 
just like us as firm owners. And, you know, Julie and I have owned a firm for a long time, but just as firm owners are struggling, team are struggling too. They're, they're trying to struggle, struggle. They're struggling with what to do. What do they want to do with their life, their career? They're battling a lot of the weight they feel of this world on them personally. And they're bringing that weight and that battle uh, into the workplace. And they're, and we're finding team are, they're, they're struggling and not necessarily good at knowing um, how to, how to balance all that. Right. So we, none of us have really been uh, adequately trained probably to go through a pandemic. None of us have said had pandemic training, right? To say, hey, when the world blows up and you're very scared for, let's say, you know, a good 18 months straight, here's how you're going to stay focused on your job. <laughs> Nobody taught us how to do that. So we've all blown up some things and have struggled. So that's why we want to talk about team. Um, and we love our team very much. And some of them struggle from time to time. Um, Julie and I, we struggle from time to time. Again, it's everywhere. So we want to focus here on our team and help them. <clears throat> so you can see kind of the bullet points on a part one. We're going to talk through team building, hiring uh, assumptions, actually wrong assumptions uh, sometimes. And these these come from some trends we're seeing people uh, do. And we want to let you know to watch out for them. So one thing we're seeing is this phrase, hiring experience means you won't have to manage the the team or you won't have to train them. And let me explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> As a firm owner is feeling the weight of the whole firm and they know they need a, you know, to make that technical hire or they need that operations assistant person to take off either the movement of the firm, the operational movement, because there's so much of that, or the technical review, those kind of things that go on to a technical person. As they think they need that, they're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to hire a tax manager, right? I'm going to pay $110,000 and I'm going to go ahead and get me the best tax manager I can find. And they make an assumption that, that's that's the solve I need, right? And what they're doing is they're leaning on this experience. They're they're leaning on the experience of somebody that's going to solve their problem. So as they're leaning on the experience, the supposed experience of this person, this person that comes with a pretty high price tag, they assume, finally, I'm, finally, I'm going to have somebody share the load. But it doesn't mean somebody with experience is necessarily a trained team member, right? You you still, as a, uh, a firm owner, you still have to let that team member know how to work in your firm. They have to deliver service in the way that you want them to. You have to train them how to serve the clients the way you want them you want them to. Uh, you have a culture with your clients. You know your client base. You kind of know how it acts and interacts, you know, uh, but a new team member is just, it's all new to them. They don't know how to do all that. So you have to walk them through that process. The reason this is this can be dangerous is because we're seeing firm owners need, um, they need to get things off their plate. They need relief. And so they're leaning, they're pulling this trick out of their hat to just finally invest in that high-powered person. And then what they do is they leave them alone. They say, you are a high-powered person. Finally, you can do it all by yourself. And that's not true. It is never true about any team member that you can hire them in and you can go, finally, you know how to do this. 
That is not how it works. Experience does not mean they can serve your clients and your firm the way you want them to. Uh, And you also don't know their bad work habits, right? Experience in the profession, let's say 20 years as a tax manager, doesn't mean they're not struggling and they're not virtual at home and they're being distracted and they're not going to work well. And so what you may find, and again, the assumption, we've seen this assumption, the assumption of hiring this high-powered person come in and then that person's struggling. Now the firm is paying through the nose, as I like to say, they're paying through the nose for uh, so much technical experience and the person's not working out. And now what are you going to do? Well, you, it starts to lead you down the road of going, and, and they just don't understand. The firm owner's like, what is wrong with you? I, I spent all this money for a tax manager and you, you can't even ma- manage reviewing tax returns. So you assume the experience of being able to review a tax manager, review a tax return means they can also track the 300 returns in your firm, track the planning, track who's done what, where they stand, how close to the deadline. Do we have 50 that we're about to finish or do we have 20? That technical experience takes a lot of project management experience, a lot of leverage and use of uh, software to manage those things. It takes team leadership. Um, Those things you have to teach and train. So don't hire experience and pay a lot of money with the assumption that it brings you something it may not. I'm not saying don't hire somebody with experience. I'm saying what I'm saying is Make sure you always have a training perspective and a leadership perspective. You will spend just as much time with an experienced person as you will a junior tax intern that's going to key punch returns for you. You're going to train both of them the exact same amount of time because you need them to understand the service perspectives you take in your firm. So. That's some wrong hiring assumptions we're seeing. Sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. And when you're paying a, a price tag of 110 grand for a technical tax manager, uh, if you can get one for that, right? If you can even find one, which people can't even find one, uh, why? Because they're all working at other firms. If you can even find one, uh, when it doesn't work out, you you're you're in trouble. You just took a huge risk, a huge risk, because uh, you hoped it paid off, and it doesn't. You've just paid a lot of money for something that didn't work. So. So another assumption is having workflow software helps the team work more efficiently. So there's a there's an assumption and I've you know, I've written and talked about this before in blogs. And basically, we have this this view that that software is going to be something that will um, that will fix a lot of lot of things that are that are difficult with our with the humans in our firm. That's the problem. And of course, you have to have good software. Like we can't do controllership and CFO stuff without Bill.com. There's no way. I mean, it doesn't even work, right? It doesn't work anymore to not have Bill.com inside of our controllership type work. So we have to have uh, Bill.com as a product help us perform that kind of service. Um, But workflow software is just what it is. It's a tool that people use well or they don't use well. Sometimes they just don't use it at all, right? We have a lot of tools, project management tools, and our team may struggle, get behind, and they're actually not even looking at the, the the tool that's helping them click off their their work, right? There's your tasks. They're not even looking at it, right? So the software is doing nothing for the human who's struggling and hiding in their home and actually not coming to work, right? That's the problem. The software can't fix the struggling of a human person. Now, 
again, just like hiring experienced people, you need good workflow software. That is what you need. It's not the thing that's going to solve everything, and it doesn't produce efficiency. Software can help us be efficient. That's the beauty of software. If we want to grow uh, in our efficiency, if we want our team to grow in their efficiency, software is going to be how is one reason uh, we can get there. But it's not the only reason. Team need uh, strong work preferences. They need calendar blocking. We believe that is a way to kind of contain our work and see it more clearly, to work efficiently. Um, And if you don't have those kind of things, it really uh, makes a team member struggle. So just beware, if your team are struggling, you want to come close to them and make sure they understand the weight of their role. We like to say that a lot of times. They need to know the clarity of their role, what's expected of them. Uh, these kind of things are going to th- these things are going to help them to be successful. <clears throat> And when we say melt disagrees, um, if you've if you remember, actually, you can go back all the way to the education um, and melt is part one, B one melt disagrees. So you can go all the way back to the education at the first of the year. And we talked about the prototype components model and we got into uh, this discussion of melt. And so that's really a definition of capacity. Uh, It's partially uh, our understanding of capacity because a lot of people go. All right, the, my team's capacity is, you know, they they're overwhelmed or they're they're underutilized. There could be a lot of things about capacity, and they say, "What is it?" Most people say it's time, right? The time of the team member's capacity. But we know, and <clears throat> we learned this. My partner Julie and I learned this through the pandemic. Is it's actually capacity has more intimate definitions to it, and it's described by Melt, and that stands for mind, emotions. Location and time. These are the things, and there may be other things too, but these are the main things that define the capacity of a team. And if they're struggling, we want to know what is their melt loss, right? So it might be, let's say a team member is doing their job just fine, and then all of a sudden, there's a death in the family or they go through a divorce or they move across the country, whatever they're doing, their mind is going to be distracted from their work. They're going to really struggle to focus on their work. That's going to become a problem. Emotions. Similarly, if they're going through personal problems, right? Um, Some of those, uh, those things like a divorce or, you know, the birth of a new child, these emotional things, these are going to be difficult and they're going to, you're going to have loss of capacity based upon these things because they're human. And the hard thing is the ME, we call those capacity trappings because you can't do anything about those as the firm owner. Those are the things that the team member fully owns and either does well or does poorly. Now, location and time, those are the things we call those capacity resources. Those are resources that you can strategically manage as an owner. And so you can actually require if your team member is struggling at home and they're distracted, they're not doing their job. One of the things you can do is say, hey, I want you to try to work in a co-work space that we'll pay for uh, for a little while. We want to see if your efficiency improves. Why? Because you're not doing your job. And that is a requirement. So uh, you always want to enter into an understanding with your team member that here's your job description. You will do your job. You have to do your job and we will always pay you. Right. And then what we're going to do is honor, respect and build a culture that will allow you to be safe and to grow and mature and get paid, too. So those are those are important. So location can be something you can speak to. 
Uh, I know it feels like you can't in a virtual firm, but you can. Um, and if your team member is on the verge of being fired or doing their job, you're going to try anything you can to help them be successful. Location will be one of those. <clears throat> of course, T stands for time. That is one uh, where people manage their work inefficiently, right? If you have a blank calendar, it's really difficult to be efficient because you think you can do anything you want. And actually, the calendar should already be full. We have our team pre-plan their calendar. So when we're talking about T, we're talking about time. That is that's one of the greatest places that we lose the efficiency, the capacity of a team member. And so melt is a great description uh, of what a team member needs help with uh, to be efficient. So again, we're talking about team building, hiring and assumptions. You can and can't outsource your hiring. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what we mean. So this labor market is very difficult. So we're doing what a lot of people are doing is we are going to, you know, some headhunters uh, that are helping us find the right people. We did that last year a couple of times um, <clears throat> because the labor market is so difficult right now. A lot of the people that are that are applying for new jobs, what they're doing is there's not an open market on accountants, right? They're all working for somebody. So when you when one comes ready to be hired, it's because they're leaving another firm. Well, you don't know who that is, so there's not ready markets. There might be job boards and things like that. So when we go to a job board like Indeed or something like that, we're going to find maybe a non-accountant <clears throat> on that role, on that side. But when we're going to a technical accounting type role, we might go in-house to a recruiter or something like that that can cull the market and help us find who we need. And why is that? Because labor is going to the recruiters. They're not just going to an open market. They know the market is very valuable for them right now. They're going to a recruiter that's going to get them the highest salary. And so when we say you can and can't outsource hiring, we're saying you can do that part. What you can't do is outsource the decision to hire into your firm. That is an intimate decision you as the owner have to make. You have to vet that client, I mean, that team member to make sure they're going to be right for your firm. And there's a lot you can do uh, to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> if you think, well, I need, you know, going back to this experience issue, I just need to hire a $110,000 tax manager. I'm going to get the recruiter to do it. They can tell me who to hire and I'm going to pull them in. You can't fully outsource that decision. You can have somebody give you candidates. That's what you want. People sorting through candidates. But that doesn't mean necessarily they can make the right decision to hire. It's very difficult to do. You need to spend time with people you decide to hire. So, at, at any rate, have at least four different steps in your hiring process, four or five. If nothing else, all that does is gives you time to see them on a Zoom camera, hear them on the phone, let them type back and forth to you, let them talk to another team member. <clears throat> all these things are very valuable interactions with a human that you're about to commit to and pull into your culture. Really important. And then you can't trust personality profiles and what the team member says in the interview, um, that kind of stinks, doesn't it, to, to be able to trust a team member. But it's not that even a team member may be lying. They're, they're putting their best foot forward. What they're trying to do is offer the best they can um, to do the best work they can. But personality profiles, any kind of personality profile, we've done working genius uh, with our team. We've done 16 personalities for many years. We love those tools, uh, Enneagram, those kind of tools. <clears throat> A lot of people love all of those. 
and they can be great. They're just anecdotal, right? They lead you down uh, a patterning basis. And basically what I mean by that is we've used like 16 personalities so long. When, when a new team member comes in as a certain labeled profile, that pattern triggers for us to know, oh, we kind of know what they're going to be like. We have three of those personality traits on our team already, that patterning helps us to go, I think we're starting to see kind of what they're going to be like, right? Because not only is the role, the technical role they're going to feel important, but also the kind of human they're going to be culturally a fit for us. Um, So the personality profiles don't decide those things. They're just aids. We call them aids. They're aids to your hiring. They do not definitively uh, you know, decide who you should hire. So it might be okay to go against that personality profile. It might tell you something. You're like, oh, that role normally doesn't fit well here. But if you're feeling a sense that that team member may, uh, then you might want to really consider that and get as much help as you can from other people. That's really important. <clears throat> when you're hiring people, <clears throat> when you are hiring people, you want to get as many people involved in that as, as you can because it is hard to read uh, people in a hiring process. <clears throat> I want to tell you one thing we do to to get at some of that personal stuff. <clears throat> but before we get into that, I want to let you hear a word from our awesome sponsor. We'll be right back. I want you to think about some places in your firm where you need some help. It might be AP, AR, It may be payroll processing. It might be account reconciliations. It might be tax, whatever it is. Now I want you to think about what if there is a way you could get the solutions you need to get that part-time help to support you in your firm. Well, our friends at Belay have been helping firm entrepreneurs like you for over a decade with U.S.-based accounting, virtual assistants, social media specialists, and website specialists also for firms all around the world. And to help you get started, Belay has a specific promotion for Thrivecast listeners. All you have to do is text the word THRIVE, T-H-R-I-V-E, to the number 55123. That's T-H-R-I-V-E to the number 55123, and they'll send you that special promotion. So, Get the staffing help you need and get back to running your business with Belay. Okay, thank you so much, uh, sponsor Belay, our sponsor. We're we're thankful to have them with us on this podcasting journey for our listeners. So as we're talking about how do we hire people well, and we can't totally lean on personality profiles. Those Those are helpful. We love to do a resume story. That's our very first meeting. So when we get on... You know, when we get somebody apply for a job, we get on the phone. That's the first thing we do is get on the phone and we do a resume story. And here's what we tell them. We say, hey, Sally, thank you um, for, you know, being in this, you know, promote or filling out the form to try to apply for this job. What we want to do, we have your resume. What we want to want to do is walk through it um, from oldest to newest, kind of walk us through your resume. And we want you to tell us stories about each place that you've been. 
And then we say to them, we go, I know that might sound weird, but it will help us know you better if we can understand how you interacted at some of those places. And so when you tell us stories, you might tell us a situation, a very specific situation that you were in, in a job, and what it meant to you, what it meant to the people around you, how you responded to it, the goods and the bads to that. Um, And we say, when you're telling us a resume story, Use the names of people, just their first name. That just makes it more specific so you can actually tell the story better. And then just walk us all the way through to the present. And we we tell them we may have questions as we go along. And so here's what we find out uh, this does. So the person that's applying for a job lets their guard down when they're telling stories. And so if there was a boss they worked for named Bob and they go, and then my, my Bob my boss, Bob, was, you know, he was always complaining about something. He, I, I could never please him. Um, anyway, you know, I did this. He got mad at me. And that place just became unhealthy. And so now we're hearing things about this person's interaction with their their leader, their boss. And so we can probe and go, oh, what did that sounds rough. What did Bob do to make that that role difficult? Right. They shared the Bob story. And now we get to respond and probe to the Bob story and go, what what did Bob do? That that doesn't sound like that was fun to work this. Tell us more about him. What what was he like? What was he trying to make you do? Now, what we're trying to hear is how does this person respond to leadership? And we're trying to hear do they have a lens on to their perspective of what Bob was asking or was Bob truly a jerk and just a terrible boss? And you never know which one it might be. We've gone through resume stories and we've gone, wow, they were trashing their boss, but we think the boss was being pretty reasonable. Sounds like you didn't want to do your job. And now we don't tell them that out loud, but it's it's conversations my partner and I can have, and it comes out of these resume stories. Now, <clears throat> some people are good at telling resume stories. They just they they're still as general as they can be. Well, and what what they do is they tell you their role. Well, I did this. I would check in these things, and then I would key this in. And we're like, that sounds great. Uh, can you can you tell us a story like one situation maybe that was hard with one of your coworkers, and tell us that story and how you figured it out. And so if I can get a story out of them, then I can have other follow-up questions about what that meant to that person. So anyway, resume stories open up the person and get them into that situation, and they start thinking about how they felt and thought. And what they do is they share more of what they're like, they're really like. Uh, And then actually in resume stories, we've heard people start complaining and griping. And then when they're complaining and griping about every single job, <laughs> they don't even know. And we're sitting there going, they are sitting there complaining about every job. Of course, we're not going to hire them, but they don't even know. They're just telling us stories. And so it teaches us so much about things you just can't get in normal interviews. So <clears throat> a resume story uh, interview is really has been really helpful. <clears throat> okay. As we're talking about um, you know, this is teaching on leading team. And you have to excuse me, I have a cold, so we're kind of cutting out a lot of my, my coughs as we're, we're getting through this podcast. So thanks for bearing with us. Um, so as we're leading team, we want to go into the second part where what really helps teams is being clear. Being clear is what leads to success. And and we, we say that's the leader's problem, right? So you want to start with you. So if your team are struggling, the first place you go is to the leader. 
what do you do? The first thing you do is you try to be clearer, right? Or you either, the first thing you do is you assume you were not clear. Uh, that's what you do. So a team member struggling, here's the first thing we do <clears throat> if they're struggling. We pull up their job description. It has the number of hours we expect them to work with their salary or their hourly pay. And it's either a two to three page job description. If they're part-time, it might be a page and a half to two pages. Uh, if they're full-time, it's going to be two to three pages. Now, why am I giving you page links? Because I'm giving you how much detail a job description needs to have in it. It's going to be sufficiently detailed. You want a lot of detail. You do not want five bullet points that fill up half a page on a job description. That's not a job description. There's no clarity in that. It's all assumptions. What you want to do is you want to say, you will code all bank recs and clear all bank feeds for for the five clients assigned to you every month. That's one of the bullet points that's going to fill up two to three pages. You will code all payroll transactions. You will balance the payroll liabilities every month to the payments being made to the IRS in the payroll software every month for the five clients. Like that's how detailed you get in a job description. It is worth it. The job description is worth building really, really well. Why is that true? Because <clears throat> that's the first thing we go to when a team member struggles. So when they struggle, we meet with a team member uh, on Zoom. We pull up our screen and we pull up the job description. We say, hey, there's some there's some things in here that you're not doing on a regular basis that we trained you to do. We thought it was clear. Um, <clears throat> specifically, it's bullet point, you know, 12A, number one. Uh, this one we're constantly reminding you to do and you never do it on your own. And so we can't we can't remind you and shouldn't. So is there any way we can do better? Like, can we put it in the workflow software better? Maybe we're not clear about that or maybe maybe we didn't train you well. We may not have told you that uh, really well. <clears throat> is that the case? And so we start leaning into the clarity of their role. And that's what I'm talking about is part 2A is being clear on their role. And a role is defined in a job description and it has a title to it. So make sure you're titling your team very specifically. I like titles with three words in them. And why why do I keep giving you numbers that, that tell you? Because I want that title to be so specific and so descriptive, it has three terms in it. Not, not all of our titles in our firm have three words in them, but some of them do. And it's really important uh, that it, if you can make a title very clear and it should really reflect and embody what their role is going to be about. Now, I, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of titles that are fun, right? You know, ninja, ninja warrior. No, I, nobody knows what that means. And it, you're not leveraging your titling for signaling to your clients or your team. And when I say signaling, what do I mean? A title signals to the team. This is this is my lane. I'm responsible for this. I'm accountable for this. And we want to summarize it in a title. That's why we have names as people. We have specific names. My name's Jason Blummer, and I'm a specific person. That means something. I own that name. You can't have it. <laughs> you probably don't want it, but um, that name really does mean something. A title is similar. It's like we're, we're giving this to you. You're the, you're the person who does that in this firm. So role clarity is so key to help a team be successful. And as a leader, that's your responsibility. <clears throat> you are responsible for creating role clarity for your team. <clears throat> role, another way you can um, 
give role clarity to your team is to put them on an accountability chart. That is just a display on a virtual whiteboard. Uh, I mean, it could be a spreadsheet. It could be anything. And it just shows the location of each person in the accountability chart, their title, and the lines in an accountability chart. <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> the lines in the accountability chart. They show whom I'm accountable to, right? It's different from an org chart. An org chart is who is the boss of whom. Uh, that's an authority-based chart. And so an accountability chart really just leads to better success uh, for team clarity, uh, for role clarity, because the lines depict who is accountable to who. It doesn't mean they may be the boss of one another, but I can't do my work without you doing yours first. That's kind of an accountable relationship. So... Invest in role clarity and always look at yourself first because <clears throat> the first thing you're going to do when a team member struggling is meet with them and go, hey, you're struggling. I want to help you uh, and I want to be clearer. Pull up the job description. Where have we not been clear? And you're just taking on the responsibility to create that clarity. <clears throat> Very good for a team member. Cultural clarity, too. This is a culture of clarity uh, needs to be a transparent culture that feels open where the team can share anything with you. Uh, and there won't be ramifications, you know, if they share. Right. There's truth. Uh, there's no manipulation. Uh, you honor team. You respect the team. Um, this kind of cultural clarity really lets humans thrive. It lets them be uh, very healthy as they get into a company culture is just going to form right so a lot of people want to work on culture but culture is not necessarily something you work on it's something that happens over time and if you're leading well there's going to be a great culture if you lead poorly um, if you in one way to lead poorly is just to leave the team alone right you never talk to them you don't come close to them and in a virtual world that is so easy to do we find owners just hiding they're hiding, just like the team, right? We're all overwhelmed. We're burdened. Our personal lives are, are, are so big. The work's so big. And so we just we just hide from work, and we just kind of hunker down and want to do it all by ourselves. And that's not what we do as leaders. We come close to our team. We reach out to them. We talk to them. We expect them to come into our online uh, chat system where we're all talking together. If they don't show up for a day, we're like, hey, where have you been? Uh, have you been doing work? Maybe you're doing work. We can't see. But normally, we'll see you conversing back and forth about, you know, how you're coding things for, uh, you know, a client and things like that. So where are you? So there's expectations of accountability in a culture that makes things uh, clear. And that's what creates health, right? And accountability for a team. One way we do that is to produce open, transparent, and truthful culture is to put it in rhythms, right? So if there's a new team member, we're going to meet with them every month, uh, for three to six months, every single month, we're going to check in and go, where do you feel successful? Where are you struggling? How can we be clear? What are we assuming you know that you don't know, right? So being clear means wiping away all assumptions. You never lead with assumptions inside of a company. If you ever hear somebody goes, well, I assumed, bam, you want to attack that and destroy it. Remove any assumption in any relationship. That's not healthy. Uh, and we do it all the time because it's quicker, right? It's quicker to make an assumption and move on rather than stopping, typing out, you know, something that's clear or stopping to have a meeting. So as you work on cultural clarity, it really drives a great sense of uh, health to people. And again, in those rhythms, 
We're going to meet with our new team monthly. Our existing team, we're going to meet with quarterly. We call those quarterly conversations. And quarterly conversations are where it's just us and we tell them, there's nothing you share in this meeting that we can share with anybody. So, what? And our team share personal struggles, right? And when they do, that's good for us because uh, we can't affect or change those, but we can ask about them later, right? We can't ask about personal things, but when they bring it up, in the next quarterly conversation, we can say, how's your mom, right? We can do those things. They'll share things with us personally about, <clears throat> you know, about some family member that they're really worried about and really struggling about. They know we'll never go tell the all team about that. We may say sometimes, hey, if you're going out of town uh, to do that because you're having those problems, the team would love to know. Uh, so we just want to encourage you to let them know, post in the chat <clears throat> that um, what's going on. Because uh, they may be noticing, but you you don't have to. You know, we can't make you share anything personal, but we care about it. We want to know that kind of openness and knowing we'll never share. Me and my partner will never share outside of that private meeting what they say. It means there's always a place they know they can go and share the most intimate details and go. I love my work, but I'm struggling personally to do my job because of this thing going on in my life. And what do we do? We don't say you're fired. We're like, how can we help you? Because I'm going to struggle too. I hope you'll be there when I'm struggling because I got to do my job, but I do want help uh, when I need it. And so cultural clarity drives a strong sense of a team, and that's the leader's job to do that. Team structure clarity. We've already mentioned this already. Um, Team structure clarity is that's where you do an accountability chart. And so we love using those. We'll show our accountability chart at least at the beginning of every year when we do our vision and values presentation. You know, we talk about that in our programs. We do seven-month programs in Thrival uh, that build firms called Foundations and Scaling. You can see them uh, in the programs navigation on our website. But we talk about building this accountability chart, and that's really important. It brings a lot of clarity. We've already mentioned that. Um, Just lets the team know where they stand. You know what else it does? It just visibly depicts their growth path too. So they know they're a junior and they they see somebody that's a senior with the same title. They're like, well, apparently if I'm a junior, I can obviously be a senior because that that role is right there. I'm looking at it. So those growth paths start to just become visible lines to them. Now, they can make assumptions, but in your private conversations, you can talk more about what those mean or if they want to move into those. <clears throat> And then a couple last points as we're going to be rounding uh, out the podcast here pretty soon is it's we found this. It's difficult to teach commitment to a role. It's much easier to hire somebody with these traits. So what 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 do we mean by this? Well, this is, again, speaking to that first point where we said don't make assumptions about hiring experience and think that means they're going to be a great team member. There's more to a great team member than just the, the technical experience. That is only a part of what you're doing when you're building a human organization. Um, <clears throat> commitment to a role is somebody you find they love their job. They love the mission of the firm. They're like, guys, I'm behind you. I, I love this. I want to do this, right? Commitment to a role is something that you don't always find in everybody. So a lot of times you find people who are struggling and they're like, 
my job's hard. I don't like it. And so you have to pull them to do their job. You keep reminding them and pulling them. What they become over time is an anchor to your growth. It means you can't make a move and go, guys, we got this great new client. We're going to work hard. And man, this is going to rocket us into the, you know, the, the next, the next stage of our growth. A team who's not committed to their role is like, oh God, that's more work for me. Right. That's a response. But a person committed to a role, it's like, bring it. Man, we're awesome. We're going to tackle that, too. I know y'all won't put any more on me than I can handle. So I'm ready to go. And what you find in a commitment to a role is somebody that's committed really to the future of the organization, too. When you talk about the future, when you talk about growth, People who are committed to the role, they they hear positive things. They're like, that is so cool. We get to go do that. Um, and so that stuff you can't really train for. That is that we've we're seeing that's embedded in the psyche of a person. We're not saying people don't struggle because I struggle with that. <laughs> I struggle with the, the future commitment, you know, to all that it takes uh, doing what we do. But when you find a team member uh, inside of a safe culture going, I'm ready for the future, that commitment is such a gift, right? So you would choose that over any technical nature, uh, 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 anytime. <clears throat> you just want them to go, hey, I don't know where we're going to go. Let's do it together. We, you know, as the leaders, we're going to help you. And if you'll be committed and all in, we're going to protect you. We're not going, we're going to try not to give you more than you can handle, but we want you to be all in. So you want to try to vet that out. Or if you know people, in your your firm that are like that, those are the people you promote. Those are the people you start really moving into those leadership positions because with that kind of attitude, they it rubs off on other people, especially when they're doing leadership activities. Um, they start leading a team with that kind of voicing and language. It's really important. <clears throat> And then hiring well is not all gut. And so a lot of times as entrepreneurs, uh, that is a thing, right? An entrepreneurial gut, uh, that's something. And really what that is, is just a, a, you know, a, a level of experience, right? So it's making a call because you have some experience. You kind of seen this before and you can make a call on gut, but you don't want to do that when you're hiring. So gut is pretty dangerous. If you go, God, just feel right about this person. That's not good enough to hire anymore, especially now in our labor market. It's a tough labor market. People can kind of pick the firm they want to work for. So when you're going through the hire, you don't want to hire somebody because you like them, right? That that is that is not a good thing to do. You want to lean more into rational thought, and you use tools like personality traits. Things like this are really going to help you <clears throat> be successful. Um, but gut is not the the only thing you want to fall on. This book is a great book. It's called Who. Um, this is you know about you know hiring A players as they call them. And really, they lean into a process, right? And no process is going to be perfect. But I'm saying right now, as we're talking about leadership uh, related to team, you want to lean into the more rational side of choosing people uh, the right way. One thing I really love, I just want to read a quick paragraph for you. One thing I love is they go through 10 top ways uh, people uh, use goofy, uh, stupid uh, hiring 
tips and tricks. And they say none of this produces any valuable thing. Like, for example, the animal lover. Uh, you know, if you if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? <laughs> they, they have a top 10 list. And they say these things are basically uh, foolish. They don't actually provide any valuable, rational way to hire somebody. Like to that animal lover question, the book says, not only do questions like this lack any relevance or scientific basis, but they are utterly useless as a predictor of the on-the-job performance. And that's true. So they kind of summarize what they call these voodoo hiring methods. And here's what they say in this book, who they say at the bottom line, all these voodoo hiring methods share an assumption that it's easy to assess a person. Just find the right gimmicks, pop the right quiz and trust the scattered chicken bones to point the way. (laughs) And you're certain to have great hiring outcomes. Beyond that, we're all prone to certain cognitive traps. We want to make quick decisions to get on with things, and so we hire quickly when we shouldn't. We like to see people as fundamentally truthful. We wish that it were so. But one of the painful truths of hiring is this. It is hard to see people for who they really are. And so keep that in mind when you're hiring. People are putting their first, their best foot forward. you got to come up with ways to learn more about them, not tips and tricks, right? So our resume story uh, is not a tip or trick. It's, it's a way to hear that person talk more about their journey and share more about themselves that they don't even know to share because uh, we do need them uh, to share that. <clears throat> okay, as we wrap up the November Thrivecast, this is really exciting for me to teach on leading team. December will be a different topic. I can't wait to dive into that too. Uh, but thank you for joining us on this journey and Bill.com and Belay for being great sponsors of ours. We would love to hear from you at info at thrival.com. There's a contact page there where you can you can tell us about anything. We'd love feedback on uh, just direct educational podcasts like this that don't have a guest. Uh, but of course, starting January, we're going to have guests again because we love to bring guests onto the Thrivecast. So thank you for just letting us uh, try new things on the Thrivecast. We love to educate farm owners to help them grow. So we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.